Dear Church Podcast. So we all maybe believe some far-fetched things. Okay, I'm talking outside of independent of Bible and, and anything like that. But in recent years, though, conspiracy theories have become topic of conversation. I mean, you've got such things as QAnon that have been widely publicized and criticized as being conspiracy. Um, the moon landing is one that I automatically think of. You know, some people say that it didn't actually happen. Uh, 9-11. Have you, ha- have you guys ever had anyone confront you on that and say, you know, it was an inside job or I know that they say that it wasn't actually a plane that hit the Pentagon? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, are, are we aware of it? Yes. <clears throat> We're aware of the yeah. fact that conspiracy exi- or that people think a conspiracy exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's something that uh, quite a few people believe. I don't, I don't think it's just a small group of people. Uh, in, recent, uh, in recent days, such things have been labeled conspiracy as stolen elections. Um, Elvis isn't dead. Epstein didn't kill himself. And Bigfoot is real. Hey, um, I looked up greatest tabloid headlines ever. And are you guys familiar with the Weekly World News? It was a famous tabloid. Can I read some of these just for <laughs> just for kicks and giggles to begin us off? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. And so you're you're saying these are commonly believed popular conspiracy theories? No, these are just so over the top. This is like the Babylon B on steroids. Like number one is <laughs> number one is severed leg hops to hospital. Okay. So yeah, I mean you don't know the. You don't remember the Weekly World News? Are these conspiracies or just crazy headlines? No, they're just yeah. I'm I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time kind of going between conspiracies and and tabloids right here because I wasn't allowed to look at those in the checkout line at Walmart when I was a kid. So, oh, I wasn't. We always turned them around, face the other way. (laughs) Nice, nice. So you're not familiar with the Bat Boy then? No, Uh -uh. the Bat Boy. Oh yeah, I did love Ripley's Believe It or Not when I was a kid. I love yeah, but that. aren't those provable, proven yeah. things, like uh, yeah. documented yeah. things? Mm. Yeah, but those aren't conspiracies. That's just like odd news or weird news or that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then you've got everything so the point about this- aliens these days. You know, like aliens made the pyramids and the Nasdaq, you know, lines were alien runways. And I mean, there's a whole kind of gamut of, of these kinds of things that go around. You yeah, know, what's crazy? You have Lost you have Bigfoot, you have Chupacabra. No, what's crazy about the alien thing is that Somehow it slipped into like a religious conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. Oh, no. I remember seeing this, and I was like, oh, why, "Why are we even engaging?" Have you this? ever have, have any of you ever read Clarence Larkin's dispensational charts? Uh-uh. It's a very famous work from the early 20th century. I got to oh, sit yeah. over here in the conference room, and of course, I'm a dispensationalist. But in the back of that, if you read the thing front to back, he asserts that the Great Pyramids are proof of dispensationalism because they were built by people not from here. Hmm. Wow, it's like. It's like it's crazy. I think there were some oh, guys, yeah. even like Spurgeon, who sometimes made an allowance or, or had an, an allowance for other life forms. And I'm pretty sure there's a quote of Spurgeon that does the rounds every now and again, where he he kind of opens the door for that kind of thing to be possible. Yeah, really. But, 
I, I do that in my I'm, – I'm the furthest thing from a conspiracy guy, but I do that in my mind because I view God as being a creator, right? That That is who he is. He's a creator. And so when right. he's done with us – yeah. Yeah. Well, so so the topic of conversation today, obviously, is conspiracy theories, and we want to specifically address it from the perspective of the local church, how it's affected um, our churches, because because now this is this is where I give a little credence to those who are conspiratorial or conspiracy minded people. It sure seems like a lot of things that were called crazy have come true in the last two years or been proven to be true, and so what we have is we have this. It seems. Uh, among Christian circles, this heightened sense of paranoia. And we want to discuss today how we can address that from the Bible and how we should look at that through the lens of Scripture. Is that a fair way of assessing what we're trying to accomplish today? Yeah, I think so. And I think to address at the beginning that, you know, conspiracy theory as a phrase or theorist is sometimes used derogatively. And I think um, that may have been like the origin of the term. And that's not our intent. There are some who I think could be categorized as investigative journalists and they get kind of dismissed mm-hmm. as um, as conspiracy theorists. But like you said, there are so many things that would have been ridiculed a year ago, 10 years ago, and now we know it to be true. Right. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's the part that <laughs> that's the part I, I tell people I wasn't a conspiracy theorist until recently. You know, there's just some things I'm like, man. Are you kidding me? So I think we have to to really kind of think about this and talk it out yeah. together because the the devil what, what does causes, have a conspiracy and he uses people. Yeah. Okay. So what causes people to be drawn toward a conspiratorial mindset? I think there's a lot to it, but I want to quote a friend of ours. We, we all have a mutual friend, great guy, deeply respect him, and something he said really hit home to me. He said the uh-huh. reason there are conspiracies is because there are lies. The reason there are conspiracy theories is because there are conspiracies and there are collective lies. So they exist for a reason. And you're right. I think there is a local church leadership, local church approach that we need to have. So I think it's a great, think it, a great question to begin with. Like you said, is is why are we drawn to them? Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's a it's a drug fix the drug of dopium, the same problem with social media. And I think it's the sensationalism. It's dopamine. Ooh, I, I want to learn this. Dope, isn't that what I said? Dopamine? Isn't that <laughs> what it's called? You said like opium, dopium. I thought you were uh, being dopamine. like, I thought you were being what rude and calling people dopes. I was like, that just contradicts <laughs> everything we've been trying to set up. Like, <laughs> Isn't it dopamine that hits the brain? You yeah. said dopium. Yeah. Dopamine? You said I don't dopium. Know. But Whatever. So but no, I think you're the right. I, I'm going to tell you where I'm headed with this I, on the helpful, practical side. It's that we all have seen it in our churches where somebody gets so wrapped up in something of this nature, flat earth, you know, whatever, and they miss Jesus. And that's something I, mm. I, I think needs to come through. It's like, hey, people, get off your hobby horses get off stop trying to figure out who the antichrist is where the mark of the beast is going to be get in the word of god and love jesus you know um okay so okay, how so- about famous conspiracies that came true okay so you know why do we believe in conspiracies why do some people go so wholeheartedly into it what are some conspiracies that at one point were written off as being just imaginary but now we know there was there was a a cover up. I think is is another terminology mm-hmm. that's helpful. Mm, COVID was developed in a lab. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
if you believe it came from a you know a bat over an animal, a, a penguin or whatever in China, I mean, there's just nothing. Everything right. about your your common sense screams. There's got to be more to the story than that. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that I mean, hasn't it been proven though that it was you know there was gain of function research, there was all this stuff going on, and you're like, oh wow, you know. We, but the problem, and so there therein lies the problem, right? Is that the reason that we kind of, you know, we we hesitate is because hey, they told us this, and mm. then it was this. And they knew it when they told us that. Yeah. Well, there were two conspiracies that, uh, you know, cover-ups that I think lend to this conversation. One is the the, the bad booze conspiracy where during uh-huh. Prohibition where the American government actually poisoned alcohol to stop people from drinking alcohol. And about 10,000 people died. The other one is the tobacco companies. They knew their product was poisonous for decades before they admitted it. And so you have both government and capitalism companies that have conspired against people. And, you know, so I think there's a reason. Now there's dangers in it, but I think there's precedent. Um, And and this is why I think we need to be wise and discerning, but also gracious. Yeah. Yeah. So we we thrive on these things and our, our, okay, I'm just going to say this, far too many pastors are heavily conspiratorial. You know, this is not just this is not just church members. We're not we're not saying, well, you know, our people are being led astray. I'm saying we're seeing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And Steve, you were saying it earlier that maybe maybe we're drawn to this because we want that dopamine hit. That that's kind of something I was considering before we before we jumped in here, but we do kind of thrive on mystery and unsolved things and partial truths and you get a lot of partial truth on the internet there's an attractive appeal always has been in human history to the idea that i know something that other people don't mm-hmm. whether you want to call mm-hmm. that gnosticism or some other ism or just Ooh, human let's nature talk about that the, it, let's talk the, about it's, that it's, it's it's very appealing to think i'm i'm privy to some information i see things other people don't uh-huh. temptation comes to me just like comes to everybody else mm-hmm. yeah I agree. Talk about Gnosticism. Well, I think at its root, it, it's the idea that it springs from back, you know, in in the early church age and that era of. I've read several books. Well, I've read dozens of books in the Roman Empire, but that in those Roman religions, you could you were you were welcomed into the religion, and then you were initiated into these mysteries or secret rites that you only got once you were part of the religion. And that idea then sort of transferred over loosely into Christianity, and they fought that with the idea that there's these secret things that you can only know once you get initiated. Um, hmm. But I, I don't think it's Gnosticism per se. I don't think it's a rebirth of Gnosticism as a theological concept. I just think it's human nature. It's human nature to think that you are smarter than everybody else, and you see what all the sheep around you don't see. I just think it's human nature. I think, Tom, yeah, you've mentioned you before the gossip principle. You know, you like to be the one to tell someone something they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, that, that appeals to our sense of pride. Isn't that where, where that – and again, I'm, I do agree that some conspiracy theories are true. But that sense of pride that I know something other people don't know or I can pass this along and I can share this with people and I can – yeah, I think that's that's pride at its heart. Mm-hmm. Can, so I another, can I share another – can I share another weekly world news headline? You might not have known, but there was an alien Bible found 
and they worship Oprah. <laughs> I believe it. Some people do. Yeah. And there's there's <laughs> another one that there was a fat cat that owns 23 old ladies. And then there were actually Titanic survivors found on board of the Titanic. I I find that very interesting. But the reason those things sold, the Weekly World News, hits on the very principle we're talking about. And that is somebody wants to, you know, think that there's, you know, they want that hit of dopamine. Am I saying yeah. that word right? You are now. Dopium. Dopamine. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Dopium. I think some of it, too, springs from um, a sense of, okay, so as God's people, we are we, we have a heightened sense of faith. Mm-hmm. We really work hard at trusting. But sometimes we take that trust and we, we cross the line and we become gullible. Mm-hmm. And so we come across something online. Um, we come across something that somebody said to us, you know, 20 years ago, it was newsletters. You know, I, I can remember being in church 30 years ago and somebody showing me a newsletter of why Franklin Delano Roosevelt didn't really die when people said he died. And the proof is that he died before, and it was a body double actually that died later. And the proof is his ears were different sizes, and they're showing me this picture in this newsletter and mm. standing in the foyer of a church in 1989 or whatever. It, it it's this this sense of um, it's like we feel like we're bad Christians if we're skeptical about something. We're just so mm-hmm. very trusting, and as a result, then I know it sounds you know like I'm arguing against myself because conspiracy theorists are distrustful of the media; they're mm-hmm. distrustful of government. But it springs from the idea that when when someone comes to them with something that that your common sense would say, "Now wait, really? Is that is that is that a real thing?" In the 1960s, I was reading a biography of Barry Goldwater. Many of many Christ, many Christians believed, right wing Christians believed, that the swamps of Georgia were filled with thousands and thousands of African soldiers been brought here by the UN to take over America. Um, it's just, it, but people sincerely believed it. It, right. it impacts their emotions. It falls in line with something they see, and they they want to believe it, and they're used to believing. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the only reason that you would believe something without seeing proof is because you trust. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is why we don't believe what the media tells us. It's why we don't believe a lot of times what the government tells us is because there is this distrust. So that's the flip side of the coin is what oh, Tom good, was talking about. That's a about. great point. That's a great point, Russ. You know, you're talking about people who are just so faith, you know, oriented that and, and in all in all seriousness to this, we believe it a lot of stuff that the world says, that's a conspiracy. I mean, just read the book of Revelation. And they're like, "Ooh, wow, that's some crazy stuff. But on the flip side of that, we have entities and organizations in the world today that we look at and we're like, no way. If they tell me something, I pretty much believe there's more to it or maybe the exact opposite. I think that comes down to— And that's where this is being—this is what's coming from. It comes down to worldview and filter, doesn't it? So if you have the filter, everything the government says is a lie, then whatever Mm -hmm. they say, even the craziest alternative is the one you choose. Whereas if your filter is, I trust the government, and that can change every four years— then you believe the government, even if they tell you the most outlandish lie, you say, well, I choose to believe it. So I think it's about filter. It's about worldview. It's about your chosen authority that you accept as being trustworthy. So there are, go ahead, Steve. I I know you got some thoughts on that. Yeah, I have uh, kind of a question for Martin. um, As far as, as an American, there is the conspiracy 
um, you know, Rush Limbaugh, his approach was when anyone started talking about it, he would he would like sniff like they're high on drugs or something. He Rush Limbaugh did not accept the conspiracy and the conspiracy is the Illuminati, the Bilderbergers. There's this big plan going on behind the scenes. And I know since the age of the Internet, I'm going to sure I'm going to guess that spread over to the pond or, or across the pond. And I'm just curious to know that if in England, if there is that that underlying that the government's evil and, you know, the, we don't even elect our presidents and, you know, on that level of conspiracy. Is there a different mindset in England about conspiracies and government? No, I think you you still see that to a degree, but not to the same degree. I think in, here in the States, a lot of things are taken to a greater extreme. And so the rest of the world goes through something, experiences something. But I think the the mindset of the American, which is both a, a, a blessing and a burden, is it allows it to go one step further than perhaps most other places would go. But you certainly see it in, in the United Kingdom. Um you know, conspiracies, like everything we've mentioned. Um, you know, I remember my wife, when she first came to England back in like 2000, 2001, the family she stayed with, uh, there was a family member in that household who didn't believe in the moon landings. And that was like her first Englishman that she met. And, you know, that wasn't a great <laughs> impression. So you see it still, but uh, maybe not to the same degree and not with the same frequency. So do you have do you have book Bigfoot there, or do you just have the Loch Ness monster? No, well it's it's the same thing. It's just that one swims and one runs through the woods. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I think you you do get those. I think what makes a big difference here in the states is the amount of talking heads, whether it's on the TV or the radio, who are constantly generating you to be afraid. And there are some of them that I listen to, and and so don't take this as like a blanket condemnation of the the ones I'm going to name. But if you're not afraid, then you've got no reason to listen to Glenn Beck, to Tucker Carlson, to, I know Rush Limbaugh's died now, but, you know, if you're not afraid, they have no foothold in your life. So while mm -hmm. some of what they say may be true, I, I think there's also a, a reason to be cautious and uh, have a, a, yeah, just to be, just to be aware. And you don't have that in Britain so much. I think I agree with that. And I'm going to say something that might be taken as arrogant. Uh, and I'm, I don't mean it to be arrogant, but I do think generally that people more and more as, as we become media driven, as our culture shifts to be media driven versus literate driven, people have become emotional rather than literate, rather than logical. They become mm -hmm. emotional rather than intellectual. And so what drives media eyeballs is emotion. That's what sells it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's how people respond. And so instead of reacting to something logically or intellectually and saying, let me reason my way through this. They respond out of fear. They respond out of shame. They respond out of anger. They respond out of – you see it in so many different ways and so many different aspects of the American political system and the American religious system. Uh, um, and, and I think that's one reason people are prone to – more prone to believe in conspiracy theories now than they were before. Yeah. So in my mind here, the conversation is kind of shifted, right? So we're talking about these grand conspiracy theorists, that they're conspiracy theories that are a result of, um, you know, widespread things like, so culture in itself drives people toward conspiracy. You've got media that is completely untrustworthy. You've got government that nobody trusts. You've got all that kind of thing. 
But as it kind of narrows down into our local churches and into our own personal lives, you know, um, that's this, it's the same route, but I think there's, there are different, different triggers to that. And mm-hmm. so we're kind of getting, getting to the personal side of things. Right. And I think something that's worth saying too, is that people, people in, man, I tell you what, okay, let me, let me try to articulate this personally. So I don't consider myself to be a conspiracy theorist because I have a hard time believing what I can't know to be accurate. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a good place for me to be. If I can't know it, you know, I always tell people I can't know what I don't know or what I can't know. And that's redundant, but to me, it makes sense. But at the same time, I also don't have to believe everything either, right? I don't have to distrust, but I also don't have to be gullible. And I find myself saying, how do I, how do I walk that line? And how do we expect our church people and fellow pastors to walk that line as well in a day where, you know, people are desperate. And I think that's desperation is a real reason why people, they look to conspiracies. You know, they're not, a, they're not happy. They're very, very displeased with the current system, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be the government, the media, the church, whatever, that they run to something that is equally baseless, right? And they, they grab a hold of it almost like a logical fallacy. They're like, well, if that's wrong, then this must be right. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> we got to find truth. So desperation, I think you're right, is a big part of it. And there is that principle that if a drowning person, they'll, they'll grab hold of anything, even if it's a branch at the bottom of a river, and that ends up killing them, but they're so desperate, they hold on to something. And I think there is that element within conspiracy theories that people will grab a hold of something because they they feel powerless and they're desperate for help. Yeah, the desperation is a... Um yeah, I think that's a real reason for that. So, getting back to, I think there's a psycho. Go ahead. So I was going to say, I think there's a psychological element to it. You know, there's something called illusory pattern perception, where we look for patterns and things. Like if you say, you know, I like red cars, and all of a sudden you just start noticing red cars everywhere. Yeah, but hold on, and- hold on though. What about Facebook? I mean, I have literally walked by stuff in the store. And stopped and looked at it and that's never cons- said anything about that's it. That's not conspiracy. Oh. That's <laughs> just your phone. Oh, there's an I ad. There, there's like that's not a conspiracy. I think we need to- they they're listening to us yeah. on our cell phones. Listening and can- watching. Yeah. Oh. Watching? I'm telling sure. you. Well, yeah, I agree. I think there is a conspiracy to get you to buy something. <laughs> um, and that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um but I think that the great the great danger of conspiracies, well, one on an individual level, is when you feel like you're being coerced into something and you have no control. Right. And if you then think you're the one that's figured it out, then, as Tom said, it leads to pride. Mm-hmm. If you then think you have the solution, then it leads to fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one that's the of which the, are righteous. No, no, that's right. I think they both threaten, as you were talking about desperation and snatching for the branch at the bottom of the river. I agree with you. That's that's good analysis. I think it shows the vanity of cultivating an atmosphere in your church that's conspiracy oriented because it mm-hmm. takes away mm-hmm. from cultivating an atmosphere of faith in God, yes. mm-hmm. of trust in God, that God yes. is in control, that God's going to take care of things, that God has planned these things, that we're, we're following him and... You're not denying that there's hidden things that happen or that, I mean, deceit is springs from the Garden of Eden, right? Deceit is a sin and it's widespread. And you're not denying any of that, mm-hmm. but you don't focus on that. You don't look toward that. Um, instead, you look toward the Lord and you live by faith. Right. 
Do you think there are some pastors, church leaders, uh, and we know there are government leaders, but pastors and preachers who use conspiracy to generate fear and it lets them control their congregations? Is knowingly? Catholic? Knowingly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that I mean, the very it's weird that you can use a conspiracy as a conspiracy in the sense that a conspiracy to me is an elaborate lie to keep someone from the truth ultimately. And I mean, just think historically of conspiracies where an entity uses a lie to control the masses, you know, Joseph I mean, that, comes to that's mind. Ex- yeah. Well, I think mm-hmm. of Nero, Nero blaming Rome burning on the oh, Christians. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what was the blood libel thing all about? Like every time mm-hmm. a baby died, they said it was the Jews mm-hmm. in the Middle yeah. Ages. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and in fact, that. honestly, it, it's a good thing to to watch the film. I didn't call it a movie because we're Baptist. The film, The Village, by M. M. Night Shyamalan, and you don't have to go to the theater to see it. But uh, that is an an illustration of keeping someone, you know in the dark have you guys have seen that at all i'm no. I'm, I'm not gonna admit no. to that on here oh my soul <laughs> that's the worst I, I, think, I think you can get it on vhs so you're safe no i there, if it's if it's not an episode of andy griffith or gilligan's island then i, I don't know what you're talking about oh, there there you in the room thank you there to you my, go hey man to my hey knowledge man. there is nothing you know we watch stuff on clear play which edits stuff out but i don't think there's anything improper in that movie but I won't give it away if you haven't ousted. seen it, but yeah, not to be ousted. There you go. Mm-hmm. Can we think about it in this way? Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. No, Martin. I was just going to say, I, I, I just happened to be flipping through the channels and watched it. Right now? Like, like that's why that's you're so the, distracted? That's the out that the pre... No, I'm distracted because <laughs> we, we started without my knowledge, but anyways. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So I think it's good as well. Sometimes when we talk about conspiracy, what we're thinking about is, you know, conspiracy is the the motive, but the cover-up is what concerns mm-hmm. a lot of regular people. And, you know, I think there are preachers who who use it. Um, but again, it's, some of this comes back to filter. Once you have begun to be suspicious of something, you see it everywhere. Right. And, and this is where, Tom, where you're saying that a focus on the truth, on teaching discernment and faith in God is so important. Because we all know there are people who've had a bad experience with the independent fundamental yeah. Baptist, you know, church. And so now they see see it everywhere wrong in everything that the IFB does or is. And they see this conspiracy that the IFB is one, you know, massive group. And so mm-hmm. yeah. And and so they are kind of conspiracy theorists in that. And so you know, I think this filters through to a lot of a lot of applications in the local church. So okay, speaking so of the with local that, church, yeah, go ahead, Tom. You're probably well, going to the same thing. Yeah, I was probably going to say the same thing you were. How do you, uh, for lack of a better phrase, treat a local church if it has? And again, I'm going to sound mean. I don't mean to be mean. There are genuine conspiracy theories, and there are people who hold them that are that are wonderful, sweet Christians who keep it as a small part right. of their life. But when it takes over mm-hmm. a church. How do you treat a church like that? How, to, in the sense of like a doctor would treat a patient? Okay, I have some thoughts. Is that okay? We'd like to hear them. Okay, thank. I, I just needed to make sure you wanted to hear them. Um, in in that, I think we can use the last two years 
as as an example. So when we're dealing with conspiracies in this podcast, we're not talking about the strictly the definition that that Steve gave, which was a correct definition, you know, a big lie meant to keep people from seeing the truth. We're also talking about the idea that people are so aware of so many different things and they're so distrusting of, of specific organizations that that has caused this, I think, this um, type of distrust among one another. It has caused people to want to emphasize. So over the past two years, you've had the masks, you've had the vaccines, you've had obviously the COVID, um, you've had all of those different things. And where I have tried to walk very carefully in all of those areas is to, as a pastor, we'll start, start with our position. I've tried to emphasize only that which I can say is factual. Um, when masks became an issue, as you all probably experienced, there are people who are like, no way. And there were people like, if you're not wearing your mask, then you're killing people. And we were getting both of that in our community for sure. And they came out with this mandate and I walked up to the pulpit on the Wednesday night, right after the mandate had been issued for our city. And I said, some of you have been asking about my position on masks. And all I said was, my position is we're not going to divide our church over a piece of cloth. And I explained that there were probably some people who had to wear a mask because we have a live stream. And if they were seen walking around without a mask, they might actually have a problem at their job. Um, I mentioned that there were people who had certain beliefs about it outside of what um, others had and that they might not wear a mask as a result of that belief. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to be respectful of people who disagree with us. Someone is not wearing a mask and someone is, you know, I'm not going to walk up and get in their personal space. And instead of emphasizing the conflict, try to emphasize a solution. And that's what conspiracy mm -hmm. theorists don't do. They don't provide a solution. They only give you a problem. And I think scripturally, we're supposed to focus on truth. We're supposed to focus on the word of God. Listen, I am not a doctor and I am not a lawyer. And the church wanted us to be both as pastors over the past two years, the church as a whole, you know, as a, as a grander, not, not the local church. Um, so that is part of partly an answer to that is I'm not going to emphasize right. that people. I got a few calls from church members about vaccinations and things of that nature. And I'll be honest with you. I said, you know what, I'm going to deal with this in our church but I'm not going to deal with it from the pulpit because that's not the place for it. And I have so, talked to people about so that could issue. I, could I summarize this by saying you're sort of withering it? Yeah, I'm trying to de-emphasize it. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think it's good you focus on what you know to be true, and you know mm -hmm. where to focus on Christ. And I guess the danger is if you start lending credibility the, to the the possibles and the maybes and the what ifs, then you start losing some credibility when you start speaking about the deity of Christ and the salvation yep. of, by grace through faith. Um, and for the local church, like you said, we, we can't answer all the questions, especially when there's so much change in information and there yeah. are good people on both sides. And so we say, and, and I think we took a very similar approach in our churches is saying, well, this is what we do know. We're all children of God. We're saved by you know, grace through faith and in Jesus Christ. And that's where our emphasis is going to be. Mm -hmm. Yes. And is it fair to say that it's not about equal time, right? So if, if I, let's just hypothetically here, okay, as a pastor, I'm going to preach for 45 minutes. I'm going to, I'm going to just give us that number. 
if I spent 30 seconds to one minute talking about how I believe any one of the most recent conspiracy theories, things that I can't know to be true, doesn't mean that I don't suspect there might be something to it. I just can't prove that to be true. It's almost as if that 45 seconds that I spent talking about that negates what I'm doing over the other 44 minutes in so many cases. So I have to be very careful about what I say from the pulpit and how I conduct myself even in private among private conversations with my people. Brother Brudnick. Well, isn't that confirmation bias? Sorry, Tom. You No, go, go ahead. Well, I mean, that principle of confirmation bias, mm-hmm. is that something you, you're familiar with, John? Vaguely. So you, you kind of, so you hear 45 seconds out of a 45 minute sermon and whatever confirms your existing bias, that's what you, you latch on to. We call that being a fundamentalist. (laughs) (laughs) No. Tom, you had a thought you were getting to. I was going to ask Brother Brednack about this in relation to the election. So, you know, you were talking about COVID, Steve, Stephen, but you know, more of a conspiracy thing rather than a government thing is, is this whole, was it the Trump election, you know, stolen or et cetera. Brother Brodnick, did you have to navigate that as a pastor? Did you have people that believe that strongly? Did you um, did did that come up in church? Was that do you understand what I'm saying? I do. Um, no, we didn't have. We we've been very blessed in the fact that we don't have people in our church that have strong opinions about conspiracy, government, um, even in the aspect of COVID stuff. We've had. You know, we've had some people wear masks, some people not, some people get vaccinated. Um, you know, it, it's been it's been a blessing at United, and I hope that's because I've taught them individual soul liberty. <laughs> I'd like to think that, but you know, yeah, that well, that's hasn't. actually a great application of it. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I think too, you've pastored your church a long time. How long have you been there? Twenty years. Uh, eighteen. Eighteen. And you know, Curtis Hudson's statement: "You attract what you are, not what you want." Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're the type of person who's, and again, this is going to sound critical of people who are conspiracy theorists, if you're the type of person who's level-headed, you're generally going to surround yourself with other level-headed people, and you're not going to orientate yourself toward joining or being part of a church that is that way. You'd rather go to a church where, you know, the, the politics is more important and the, the news is more important and the events of the day are more important. And and so that's probably because you've pastored there a long time and that church has come to reflect your, your rather level-headed approach to it, not not ruling everything out, but not really emphasizing it either. So can I... That's one of the... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that's one of the difficulties of pastoring in the social media age is that we all have a certain demeanor about us and we've seen things, you know, through how God has led us to lead the local church move in a certain way. But then on social media, there are lightning rods and you get someone with a 30-second clip and you have to kind of counter that and you know social media I, I love but it also does make things difficult and you know to call someone out by name i think greg Locke is a charlatan and i think he's he's not just a a false prophet but i think he is a terrible person okay but, but and can, um, I put, can i offer you just a little pushback not on greg Locke, but you talk about the 30 second <laughs> clips that cause problems but then you mm-hmm. advertise it by putting it up and saying look how awful this is and everybody talks about it doesn't that actually make it worse? I would say for the most part, yes. But I think on occasion, being able to say, you know what, people are talking about this already, so I'm not bringing it to your attention. But I want to say, I want to make it clear, uh, this guy is 
just the worst. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Okay. No, there is an element, Tom, Tom, I will say to Martin's defense on that, there is an element to that where you're marking somebody and you're saying, hey, look at this. This is, you know. Yeah, but if you do it all the time. And Martin doesn't well, do yeah, that. He, he doesn't yeah, do that Martin doesn't do that all the time. And that's why, again, I'll call out Bad Sermon Clips and some of these other guys on Twitter and even some other podcasts that will go nameless, who their their worldview, their filter is to see bad in everything in a particular area. And and always focusing on the wrong, I think, is, is wrong. And I will say that is my opinion and not the opinion of this podcast because I don't want to be a lightning rod of trouble for us. But um, – you know, I think on occasion we do need to call out these lightning rods of conspiracy and name it and shame them, um, but not all the time. And, and you're, you are right, Tom. I think sometimes we do more harm in drawing attention to it. So I, I, I acknowledge that. So what are some of the common conspiracy theories that we as pastors confront, you know, there's special church conspiracy theories, and I'm going to get us all in trouble maybe in um, in naming some of them because some people believe those things passionately. Um, you know, one that's come up lately is flat earth. Somehow that's connected with whether you believe the Bible or not. Um, you know, the the whole connection of ancient Babylon to Christmas and Easter, that's another one that comes to mind. Um then you have certain government, you know, conspiracy theories that come into, um, you know, come into our churches. Do you, you guys, any other ones that come to your mind? And I guess I would put these at that level where sometimes people get so wrapped up in these mm-hmm. that it becomes the, the, they filter everything through it and they can't see anything else. And to me, those people I have learned through time tend to, have a lot of issues that they're smoke screening with those issues. Oh, that's an interesting observation. Okay. It, well, okay. And that's, uh, the question is phrased very well. So I'm going to tell you how I handle it because I don't think this is the only way to handle it, nor do I think it should be handled this way hundred percent of the time. I spend less time cons- confronting the conspiracy because you're going to get in an argument and more tra- trying to train and cultivate the spirit. Amen. So teaching and training from the word of God on how to process, how to believe, how Amen. to uh, how to adopt new beliefs in your life, how to rewire. You know, the Bible talks about trans- being transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that doesn't come by arguing. I just read the other day in our Sunday school curriculum, Jesus's purpose was not to argue. Uh, his purpose in coming was to honor and glorify his Father, and I think that by honoring and glorifying Jesus and by teaching the Bible systematically in our churches and by giving people a solid foundation— we do more to help people overcome a conspiratorial mindset than if we said, you know what, I'm going to challenge you on the fact you don't believe in the moon landing. That is such an unsuccessful, I think, unproductive approach most of the time. There may come a time where you just have to answer a fool according to his folly or rebuke so that others may fear and say, no, I'm going to deal with this. That's fine. But I'm talking about helping an individual. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on their conspiracies. I have a, I have people, you have people, there are probably people listening and pastors listening and church members listening who know people who are into this. Like we mentioned our mutual friend earlier, who we all love and respect because he's not an obsessive kind of guy over this kind of thing. I'm not going to argue with him over what he, where we disagree on that because I'm just going to say, oh, it's interesting. But I am as a pastor going to try to lead my church to think biblically 
And I think that'll take care of it. I love your answer. I, I think that's spot on rather than confronting the actual thing, working on the spirit of the person. And, you know, it's refreshing to me when someone believes something like that and they may even believe it passionately, but they don't make it an issue with them and with their relationship with the pastor and with the church. And to that, and that's to also to Tom's point earlier about Martin and the Greg Locke thing. And, and that's, you know, there's a little bit of tongue in cheek and humor that, that we all have with that little conversation as a group. But Tom's, yeah. yeah. As a group. Right. But Tom's point is very, very much where I land that, okay, I think this about this guy. He's not, you know, he's not a good, he, he's a false teacher. Absolutely. Uh, based on things that we're seeing him say. All right. So I'll clarify. Um, but if I'm just constantly throwing that up for people and, and saying, look at this, this is horrible. This is bad. Am I making it worse? I tend to think so. I tend to think that approach should be very much weighted um, to the opposite, which is trying to deal with the root and not the fruit. And like I said, that's not all the time, but I think it's most of the time we got to deal with the root and at times call things out and identify them and then move on. In, in the Bible, Five different times the same word fables is used. Um, it has the idea of a narrative or a story. And again, it's a fiction. First Timothy 1 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, first Timothy 4 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. Exercise thyself rather into godliness. Second Timothy 4 4, they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. Titus 1.14, neither give heed to Jewish fables um, and commandments of men that turn from the truth. 2 Peter 1.16, for we have not followed cunning devised fables. And we're not the first generation to deal with the fact that within the church, people make stuff up. They, they get consumed about something that's just not true. And can I just say this? We live in the age of Google and we think Google is the expert, but Google yeah. contradicts itself all over the place. Oh, you yeah. can, you can Google vaccines and you can find a hundred places that will tell you you've got to have it or you die. And then you'll find a hundred that will say, if you take it, you will die. And right. in this environment, I, I, I believe that Rome was a lot like, and I'm not trying to make the total connection of the fall of Rome and the fall of the United States of America. But, you know, Jesus is basically looking at Pilate saying, I'm truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? And the reason Pilate, I think, says that is because he was a politician and there is no absolute truth in that mindset. And mm -hmm. you actually see it. That's John 18 and John 19. You see Pilate basically taking Jesus, who he believes is innocent, in every way, shape, matter, or form, it even scares him that he's innocent, but he's willing to scourge him, let his soldiers mock him, and then crucify him. Why? Because it was right. expedient, because it was what was needed. And to me, the answer of conspiracy, the answer of conspiracy is Jesus is truth. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm thankful for the people that trained me for being consistent, godly men that put those things aside. And I mean, I can hear pastor Brian, the man that trained me in ministry. I, I love him to death saying, Brudnick, don't worry about that. 
Right. Preach Jesus, preach the gospel. I and love don't that. get off on all that stuff. I love that. There are just some things that we are not called to confront a hundred percent of the time. Exactly. And there's a, there's great wisdom in that. And that's where, man, I, okay. So I feel in, in one sense to draw this all together and we can comment on all this and then maybe bring it to a bit of a close is that Steve, you just, you just gave a great point as to how to deal with this. And, to, and that is to realize I don't have to answer everything. I don't have to wait into that. My answer can be as simple as I'm not going to get into that, or I really don't know enough about that to comment. And then we go on. Jesus wasn't concerned about correcting all the conspiracies. He was concerned about going to the cross. The other thing is, is from my own personal perspective, how am I going to do this? Well, first of all, I think we have to recognize that a spirit that embraces every conspiracy will probably struggle, is a person who will probably struggle with true Christian love. And I get that from where the Bible says that charity thinketh no evil. If we're constantly identifying everything as the boogeyman, I don't know how we have true Christian love in that. Does that make sense? Yes. I was going to say, Brother Brudnack, I really appreciate your answer, not just because you brought it back to Jesus, but because I think genuinely that he is the answer to this, as he is mm-hmm. in so many of our discussions. I think when you—I I, I love that passage. I think it's Acts 5.42, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And in some sense, as a pastor, I, I bear this, this weight of responsibility that somehow I need to always be bringing— I always need to be presenting Jesus or talking about Jesus or bringing it back to Jesus, preaching about him, emphasizing him. And I think when you do that, you naturally then orient the saints toward Christ and toward heaven, and then your affection on things is not on things on the earth, it's on things above. Mm. And your mm-hmm. your church is balanced in the sense of oriented or pointed toward Christ, and there's less place for those sorts of atmospheres to develop or room for those atmospheres to develop that we would consider borderline unhealthy. If if a brother or sister holds one, we trust they hold them in sincerity. You know, mm-hmm. just don't make it a big deal here at church. And I love you. You know, I've said to people so many times as a pastor, I know you believe that, but I love you anyway. Mm-hmm. And what does it say? It says, I love you, but it also minimizes it at the same time. And, and, but I think if we, if we really lift up Christ, uh, I'm not just saying that. I, I think it really helps solve this sort of thing and point a church in a, in a healthier direction. Amen. Yeah, and and I think that works directly proportional to one another, and that is minimizing those things exalts Jesus. Right. And if we, if anyone, any church, any individual begins to maximize those type things, they will minimize Jesus. And that's just a dangerous place to be because he's awesome. And our relationship with him matters more than whether the earth is round or flat or, you know, whether we should celebrate Christmas or not. And the different conspiracy, you know, things out there. I'm sorry. My mind is still on this thought, but isn't it awesome? The Bible covers this, I think, so well when it says perfect love casteth out fear. Well, the two extremes, right, is that if you are constantly embracing every conspiracy, you can't love in a Christ-like manner. But if you are constantly seeing the boogeyman behind every bush, then you're probably going to have paranoia and fear. And to not love but to have fear is to disobey God. It's to it's to err. But God the Bible not, says... God hath not given us the spirit of fear. At, Absolutely. So paranoia and distrust as a as a prevalent mindset, I think it's just not compatible with 
with Christ in the gospel. And again, to reiterate here at the end, we're not saying that there aren't genuine conspiracies that, right? You know that that companies and governments and people and pastors yep. and churches and denominations and you know have covered things up and and pointed us in oh, a different yeah. direction. You know, we we agree that those happen, and we also agree that there's many sincere brethren in Christ who hold different positions than us on things, and we love them anyway. Um, but we must we must keep the focus on Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to ask our good friend, Martin Wickens, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you close us out with the letter to the church today? Dear church, conspiracies and cover-ups are a reality in this fallen world. Some who receive the label of conspiracy theorists are simply searchers of truth, and they provide a service to society. But our concern is when the subject of conspiracy and cover-up, real or imagined, distract from the gospel and hurt our credibility as believers. I understand the appeal of conspiracies and going against them. I don't like not knowing. I'd like to find patterns in behavior and actions. I'd like to connect the dots and find reason and purpose in the world around me. I don't like feeling that others are determining my future and freedoms without my permission. But part of trusting God is leaving the unknown to the one who knows all and trusting my future to the one who exists outside of time. In Psalm 64, David wrestled with the issue of conspiracies. He prayed, Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Certain men had gathered in secret. They planned David's downfall. They conspired against God's chosen king over the land, against God's determined path for the nation. But in verse 7, David rests in the truth, that God shall shoot at them with an arrow, suddenly shall they be wounded. And he concludes his song with a triumphant verse. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him and all the upright in heart shall glory. Others may indeed conspire against us, but while we do what we can to a degree, we must ultimately rest in the Lord and trust him. Conspiracies may be real, but we should not let them distract us from God's purpose or detract from God's truth. We should not let conspiracies real or imagined steal our joy or allow them to steal the joy and peace of others. We must be willing to sacrifice our personal ideas in order to promote God's truth. We should practice discernment as we are bombarded with information. But we have to remember that those who conspire against us are far better than those who conspired against Jesus. And he prayed, Father, forgive them. If a time comes that I have to choose between conspiracies or credibility, let us aim for Christ's likeness and simply proclaim Christ crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. We ought not to stick our heads in the sand like the proverbial ostrich. It is true that God has put us in nations and we have privileged responsibility to influence our communities and countries as salt and light, but we must guard our credibility. Let me use the proverbial ostrich as an example to close. Around 2000 years ago, the Romans falsely believed that when afraid, the ostrich would stick its head in the sand. They believed the ostrich acted as a child, thinking that if he could not see the enemy, the enemy could not see him. But they do not bury their head in the sand. In fact, with the ability to run at over 50 miles an hour for prolonged periods, with feathers that act as air rudders to zigzag with precision, and legs that can kill a lion with a single blow, they are easily capable of defending themselves. Whatever we face as individuals or a nation, the solution will not be found in an earth in a conspiracy. Instead, let the truth of God's word turn and fight. 
In the end, God's truth will always win. Your friends, Martin, Steve, Stephen, and Tom. Tom.